In the business world, most of the time companies are competing in an established market, each trying to marginally outdo the others. But every so often, a market disruptor comes in, breaks in. And instead of competing in the existing market space, disruptors redefine the space altogether. Things like the printing press or the invention of railroads, the electric light, computers, social media. Now we, we talk about AI. Disruptors breaking in, upending everything. They change the world as we know it forever. And 2,000 years ago, the ultimate disruption broke in and upended the world forever. It wasn't a technological breakthrough. It was the moment the Son of God entered into space and time as a baby born in Bethlehem. The kingdom of heaven broke in to planet Earth in this weary world. Jesus is the disruption that forever changed everything. Remember Mary's poem? We looked at it a couple weeks ago, the Magnificat. Mary knew that Jesus' upside-down kingdom would disrupt everything. The world would be set to rights as the blessings of God flow. She said, not to the proud, but to the humble, not to the mighty, but the lowly, not to the rich, but the hungry. Mary knew that King Jesus would turn the world upside down, or should we say, right side up. And now in the passage we're going to look at this morning, as Jesus is born, the upending begins. Grab your Bibles. We're going to be in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 down to 21. You'll find today's reading in the Pew Bible on page 857, 857, Luke chapter 2, 1 to 21. And even as Jesus is arriving, Dr. Luke wants us to see that the upending has already begun. Jesus' coming is upending power, it's upending nobility, and it's upending honor. Upending power, nobility, and honor. There's your outline for this morning. Let's bow our heads and pray as we jump in. Father, we thank you for sending Jesus, the ultimate breakthrough, disruption of this broken world to set things to rights. We pray that the upending he brings would begin in us even today and echo down through history until Jesus returns and makes everything right in the end. We look forward to his coming in his second coming as we celebrate the advent of his first. It's in his name we pray. And all God's people said, amen, amen. So first of all, the upending of power, upending power. Look at Luke chapter 2, verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. Now, Dr. Luke here is giving us the backstory of how a couple from Nazareth up north in Galilee will actually end up down south in Judea in Bethlehem to give birth to baby Jesus. The, the birthplace of Jesus of Nazareth is not in Nazareth, it is actually in Bethlehem. And this is important 
and Luke is telling us how it all happened. Caesar Augustus issued an edict requiring uh, the people of the Roman Empire to register in what was a kind of census. Uh, This is, of course, so that he will know how many taxable households there are in the empire so he can keep his imperial coffers well supplied. This is a, a display of his power over the empire and all of his subjects. Everyone you see here is at his beck and call. He's making it all happens. So everybody heads out to their family of origin, the places where they're from, where their family roots are established to satisfy this registration. Now, let me just tell you a little bit about Caesar Augustus here uh, as we get started. He was born in 63 BC. His name at birth, given name, was Gaius Octavius. Uh, When his maternal great-uncle Julius Caesar, you know this name, when he was assassinated on the Ides of March, in his will, Octavius was named as his son and heir, very interestingly. And of course, this was disputed. There was a massive civil war and unrest for many years following Julius Caesar's death. But finally, in 31 BC, Octavius ascends the throne of the Roman Empire, takes on the name Augustus, and then proceeds to tamp down all the civil unrest. He, his conquests go to the very ends of the Roman Empire until he controls virtually every corner of the ancient world. He taxed heavily, and then he returned a lot of those uh, taxes back to the people in lavish gifts and benevolence to the people, and his, his rule became known as the Pax Romana, the Roman peace because no one dared oppose him. He was just too strong. Caesar Augustus became revered in the ancient world as a kind of deity. Uh, He called himself, this is amazing, he called himself the savior of Rome. He called himself the Lord of all the earth, the one who brings peace to all mankind. Uh, There's a famous uh, inscription on a tablet, set of tablets, called the Priene Calendar Inscription uh, that's housed at the Berlin Museum. It was discovered in 1868 uh, over to 1869 by Richard Pollan in the Greek city of Priene where he was excavating. It's in modern-day Turkey. Uh, He was in the precincts of the Temple of Athena Pelias when he found these two tablets. Let me just read the inscription that's on uh, the second of these tablets. All the cities unanimously adopt the birthday of the divine Caesar as the new beginning of the year. So this is his birthday, by the way, is September 23rd, if you want to follow this. Uh, Since providence, God gave us Augustus, whom she filled with virtue, that he might benefit humankind, sending him as a savior, both for us and our descendants, that he might end war and arrange all things. And since he, Caesar, by his appearance, even exceeded all of our expectations, surpassing all the previous benefactors and not even leaving to posterity any hope of surpassing what he has done. And since the birthday of the God, Augustus was the beginning of the good news for the world that came by reason of him, And then it goes on to establish this official beginning of the year. So Dr. Luke wants us to see it is in those days 
in those days, in the days when Caesar Augustus called himself Savior and Lord, the one who brings peace on earth. It is in those days when Caesar's birth was being heralded as good news for the world. It is in those days when Caesar is worshipped as divine. It is in those days when Caesar was flexing his power, making everybody register so he could hike the taxes, fill his coffers, and enhance his glory. It was in those days that the real Savior Savior arrived. It was in those days that the true king was born. It was in those days that the Lord of Lords stepped into space and time, the Prince of Peace, the Son of God, the All-Glorious One arrived. It was in those days, in the days where there was a man pretending to become a god. God became a man. <laughs> Those days. Verse 4. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. So here Joseph heads south to Judea. It's up in elevation to the, house, the town of Bethlehem, Beit Lechem, house of bread, the city, the ancestral city of the great King David. Joseph is in his lineage, and Mary is with him, of course, and she is pregnant. Now, to the casual reader, this seems all very run-of-the-mill. You know, they just had to go do this. It was like going to the DMV. They had to get their license. They just had to do their stuff, right? But it is massively significant because Jesus had to be born in Bethlehem. He could not have been born in Nazareth. Why? Micah chapter five, verses two, four, and five. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, for you shall come forth for me, for from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. And sure enough, in fulfillment of this prophecy, verse 6, and while they were there in Bethlehem, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Phew! Aren't you so glad they made it? I mean, this Joseph and Mary just happened to be here in Bethlehem at the right place and time. Aren't you glad? I mean, this prophecy might never have been fulfilled, huh? We might have missed it. Of course, friends, these events... These events are neither coincidental nor haphazard, are they? God is working all things in accordance with the counsel of His will. And He is providentially at work bringing all of these things to pass in the right time and the right place. And here's what's amazing to me. God used an emperor with an ego to make this happen. 
Isn't that amazing? God leveraged, he, he went and used the guy who called himself savior of the world, the Lord of all the earth, to bring, who brings peace to all mankind, who's flexing his power in this census so he can bask in his own glory. God used that guy to unwittingly move Joseph and Mary into position so that Jesus might be born in just the right place and right just the right time and fulfill God's eternal purposes. <laughs> that, that's the ultimate flex, isn't it? This is the ultimate flex. Real power is when the power brokers unknowingly fulfill your bidding and think it's their idea, huh? That's ultimate power. That's the real flex. And Luke wants us to see there's a power behind the powers. There's a power, capital P, power behind the powers. Psalm 115, verse 3, our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Proverbs 21, verse 1, the king's heart is like a stream of water in the hands of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wills. See, it, it might look like Caesar is large and in charge, but behind his power is a greater power, a power that is working all things together for the good of those who love God, for his eternal glory. And friends, no one, no one can thwart the redemptive purposes of our God. No one. This, friends, this is such good news for those of us who feel so often powerless, isn't it? So those of us who feel like our lives are often just sort of pushed around by people with big egos, leaders, politicians, bosses, bullies, how good it is to know that our God is on his throne and no one can thwart the redemptive plans of our God. Oh, people might wield their little tridents, but God through all of those choices is mysteriously, inexorably advancing his sovereign plan for his glory and for our good. Don't you see, friends, the upending has begun. The upending has begun. Jesus' birth is already upending power. It's upending power. Secondly, it's upending nobility. Upending nobility. Look at verse 8. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. The first century Greco-Roman world, friends, was, was, was both highly stratified and class conscious. At the top, you had Caesar and the political ruling class. And then below them, you had landed as wealthy estate owners, and you had decorated military uh, retirees, leaders, that sort of thing. Then you had Roman citizens that always outclassed non-Roman citizens. And then you had regional officials, you had educated professionals, you had tradespeople, you had manual laborers, and then you had those with dirty jobs, like shepherds. And then, of course, at the very bottom, you had the slaves. And it is into this highly stratified world that Jesus is born. 
And notice who it is that God invites to join him at the celebration of the birth of his newborn son. Not Caesar, not the religious leaders, not the elites, not the A-list red carpet crowd. Who does he invite? Shepherds. Shepherds? Yes, shepherds. Low class, uneducated, poor, dirty, smelly shepherds. And not just any old group of shepherds, third shift shepherds. No seniority. They had to work overnight. The lowest of the low, yeah? And that's exactly who God wanted to be with him, to share in his joy as his baby boy is born into the world. Who would have thought? This is amazing to me. Verse 10, the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that shall be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Yeah. A manger. Suddenly there was with the angel a great multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Did, did you notice the parallels with the praying calendar inscription that we looked at earlier? Did, did you see it? Good, good news of great joy for all people. A Savior, the Christ, Christ the Lord, who will bring peace on the earth. Do you see what's going on here? All of this is highly scripted for the ancient world. Caesar, you know, you're Caesar that everyone knows, the one who's moving everyone around for this census. That's Caesar who calls himself Savior, huh? I'm here to tell you, the real Savior has been born this day. And he will save you, not just from some foreign enemies. He will save you from sin and death and Satan and hell. Because this Savior is the Christ, the Messiah, David's heir, the long-awaited King. And he is the Lord. Caesar might call himself Lord of all the earth, but this is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Which is why the whole chorus of angels say, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. A new kind of peace is breaking into the world, friends. Not the kind of peace that makes everyone cower and subjugate themselves to, to a Caesar, but the kind of peace that comes as the King of Kings lays down his life so that sinners might be reconciled with God, so that we might have peace with God and with our fellow man. This is truly good news of great joy not just for Roman citizens and the elites, but for all the people, including shepherds. This will be a sign for you, for you, for us, yes, for you, especially for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. 
Do you, don't you see? God is speaking their language. They, if these guys knew anything, they knew mangers, feeding troughs that they used every day of their lives for, the, for feeding their flocks, their animals. They knew exactly where to find every feeding trough in Bethlehem. Don't you see? This is all for them. They, they would have been intimidated if he was in some palace, if he was lying in some gilded crib and an exclusive swanky hotel. But if this baby is lying in a manger, they're going to be right at home. They, they belong around mangers. Remember, friends, it was in these same fields years before that God chose an unlikely shepherd to be the king. When God said, man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And God picked David, the shepherd boy, to be the future king of Israel. And don't you see, it was these same fields. And now once again, God is lifting up lowly shepherds and crowning them with honor. Because there's a nobility beyond the nobles. There's a nobility beyond the nobles. Friends, do you see how God bypassed all the cultural elites and the nobles and instead reaches down and elevates these poor, lowly nobodies and brings them in to the fullness of, in, of his joy. He ennobles them by his gracious invitation, by drawing them close. Because to be chosen by God confers a nobility beyond anything this world can offer. And friends, this is such good news for those of us who feel so often overlooked. Like our lives are belittled by those who are running circles around us. How good it is to know that our God sees us, that he knows us, that he calls us by name, that he invites us, the least, the lowliest, the left behind, to come and share in his joy. Friends, because when God invites you into his eternal presence, there's no greater nobility than that. Behold what great love the Father has lavished upon us that we should be called children of God, and that is who we are. 1 John 3, verse 1, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever, whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. John three sixteen. Friends, don't you see the upending has begun? Jesus' birth is upending nobility. He's upending power, he's upending nobility, and then finally he's upending honor. Upending honor. When the angels went away from them, verse 15, into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. <laughs> Moms, <laughs> can you imagine this in your maternity ward? Can you imagine this? You've just given birth. You're exhausted and tired. And these in trapes a whole gang 
a bunch of smelly, dirty shepherds. They're still sweaty because they rushed over to find you. And they burst in and they want to behold your newborn child. (laughs) You're not going to forget this moment, yeah? Verse 17, and when they saw it, that's interesting, it, not him, it. When they saw the manger, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, as it had been told to them. At the center of this scene and of their realization is the oddity of a newborn baby sleeping in a manger of all things, a feeding trough that's been chewed on and drooled on, and it's disgusting, right? It's only for farm animals, and that is where the baby is cradled. Why? In verse 17, we read, because there, or verse 7, we read, there was no place for them in the end. That's why. That's why he's in the manger. Now, just think about it with me. If a member of the royal family had showed up, they would have found a place for them to stay. Yeah? If, if someone of great honor and esteem came, I'm sure they would have found a way to get a room somewhere, right? If even a revered family member arrived unexpectedly in town, I assume some arrangements could be made. Remember, Joseph, Joseph is of the house and lineage of David. He has family in town, extended family at least. Why are none of them creating a more comfortable situation? Why are none of them opening their doors? I I think what we're seeing here is we're catching a glimpse of the stigma that is already attached to Joseph and Mary because of the unwed pregnancy and the child that she's carrying. Their shame has gone before them. And so when the time does come, she gives birth to her firstborn son, wraps him in swaddling clothes, and lays him in a manger because it's the only place left. Friends, there's, there's no decency in a manger, no status in a manger, no honor in a manger, only dirtiness, repulsiveness, and shame. It's kind of like the cross, isn't it? It's kind of like the cross. There's no decency, status, or honor in the cross. There's only dirtiness, repulsiveness, and shame. And yet, friends, think about it. The cross has become for us a symbol of wondrous beauty, hasn't it? Some of us even wear a cross as jewelry. Think about it. That's crazy. A device of torture, shame, and death has now become beautiful in our eyes, a symbol of glory. How on earth did that happen? Well, it happened the only way it could ever have happened. It happened with the touch of heaven, the touch of heaven. It is the beauty of Jesus that transfigures the cross 
and turns it from shame into glory. When he laid down his life in our place and for our sake, bearing all of our sin and shame, and rose again to make us right with God, when he did this on the cross, the beauty of Jesus transfigures the cross forever, makes it glorious and beautiful. And friends, it is the beauty of Jesus that transfigures this manger, this filthy, mundane trough fit only for animals becomes a glorious cradle for the newborn Son of God. And friends, there's an honor beneath the honored. You see that? There's an honor beneath the honored. Most people think honor is something you amass, something you acquire, something you aspire toward and build your life up and toward honor. The road to honor runs upward. But Jesus is showing us that's all wrong. That's all wrong. One day when Jesus was with his disciples, they were bickering about who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And he told them this, Mark 10, verses 42 to 45. You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, Jesus is saying there's an honor, a true honor, that most honorable people think is beneath them. And it's the honor of serving. And according to Jesus, the road to real honor runs not up, but down, down. Resurrection comes through the cross. Glory comes through the manger. Jesus shows us the way. For being in the form of God, he did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every other name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11. See, friends, Jesus is showing us the way up is down. The way to honor is through service. The way to greatness is through humility. And this is such good news for all of us in life who feel so very damaged, who feel befouled and covered with shame. How could God ever redeem this mess? How good it is to know that God is our great redeemer, that his grace transfigures everything it touches. For at the touch of Jesus, the cross turns to beauty, the manger turns to wonder, and the grave turns into a garden. The great upending has begun, 
And with a touch of his grace, friends, Jesus is transfiguring, transforming our lives as well. As sinners become saints and orphans become heirs and rebels become reconciled all by grace through faith in Christ who lays down his life that you and I might live. It's all right there in his name, Jesus. Verse 21, at the end of eight days when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. For as Gabriel told Joseph in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, you shall call his name Jesus, Yeshua, Savior, for he will save his people from their sins. Friends, Jesus came to give his life as a ransom for many. Don't, don't, you, don't you realize he was laid in a manger because he came to be devoured. He came to be devoured. He was born to be swallowed up by death. He came to be the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. He came to be servant of all. The upending has begun. And this great upending is good news of great joy for all the people. All the powerless, all those who are pushed around, all the overlooked, all the belittled, all the damaged and befouled, unto you is born this day a Savior. Christ is come. The Lord is here. The disruption has broken in. The kingdom is at hand. The upending has begun. So won't you come and adore him? Won't you make room in your life for him? Won't you let him disrupt your tidy little world? Won't you let him have full permission to turn your world upside down? You may just find it's actually turning right side up. Because this day, the upending begins. Let's pray. Father, in this moment, history is divided in two. The world will never be the same. Kings and kingdoms will all pass away. But there's something about that name, the name of Jesus Christ, the Lord, that will echo for all eternity from a manger to the throne of heaven. This is our God. This is our Savior. This is our Lord. This is our Prince of Peace. And so, Father, we want to follow our Jesus through shame and death and emptiness into life and vibrancy and glory and greatness. And so we cling to him through the manger, through the cross, to glory and resurrection life. 
This is what Christmas is all about. The upending has begun, and it's upending our lives as well. We cling to you in Jesus' beautiful name. Amen.